Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, the radio chick, Annie Ubellis. Join Annie on Tuesdays and Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time with an open chat room full of her regulars. And yes, you can even call in. Call 917-889-3675. That's 917-889-3675 to be a part of the action on the phone line. Not able to listen live? Not a problem. You can always catch Annie, the radio chick, and Southern Sense Talk Radio podcast in archives at southern-sense.com. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Southern Sense the right way. Good afternoon, and welcome back to another adventure here on Southern Sense Live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, High Plains, Daily News, Kinetic Hi-Fi, The Fix FM out of Charleston, South Carolina, up on iTunes, YouTube, Facebook, Stitcher, Spreaker, all the heck with it. You know what I'm going to say next. Just go to the name of the show, put a hyphen in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the mostest, the radio chick, Annie, along with my debonair and erudite co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Curtis, we got ourselves an exciting show and two great guests with us today. And I'm excited to hear what they got to tell us. <laughs> oh, so am I. So am I. I want to welcome everyone that's watching on uh, Facebook and YouTube, as well as in our chat room here on Blog Talk Radio. I'll try to keep an eye on all the chat rooms. Can't always do it. So if you see my head bobbing and weaving, I'm going in between <laughs> all the different chats and trying to keep up with everyone. Um, our first guest up is going to be Lucretia Hughes. Uh, she does a podcast on Facebook, which is really, really excellent. Uh, she was with us at the South Carolina Tea Party Coalition Convention. I'm glad she can come back and join us again on the show here. And then our friend Jim Horn, who was MIA back on the 28th, uh, he was uh, quite embarrassed, so I'm not going to rub it in on him too hard, uh, but he will be with us today. And there is a lot to talk about uh, with everything with gun control that's going on, and uh, Lucretia Hughes is part of the NRA, and she's part of the um, convention nominating committee, committee, so it's going to be a lot of fun talking to her about that. Uh, other things that are going on locally. Um, as well as what's going on diplomatically, Iran shooting missiles at Israel and Israel firing back and saying, hey, we ain't taking this crap. Uh, we got the uh, North Korean hostages that were freed. A lot is going on. It looks like Putin will be coming to the White House to sit down. And on Monday, the uh, embassy in uh, Jerusalem will be opened. Israel will have its capital officially recognized by the United States. So a lot of exciting things going on. That said, on to more serious. (laughs) Everyone thought Trump was going to roll over. What's that? (laughs) This is the Trump New World Order. (laughs) Oh, it is. It is. We're going to be talking about that too. Uh, There's there's some great articles that are up, and believe it or not, one of them I pulled out is from the New York Times. Uh, Anyway, on the more serious note, those that listen to the show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's show dedication is going to go out to um, police officer 
David Charles Sherrod, uh, from Richardson Police Department in Texas. His end of watch was Wednesday, February 7th of 2018. And this is from the Dallas News. David Sherrod was a goofy guy with a quick smile and an encouraging word for others. He was the one who didn't hesitate to lend a helping hand and the one who always had the backs of his brothers in blue. But the 37-year-old Richardson police officer's watch came to a sudden and tragic end Wednesday night, February 7th of 2018. When he was suddenly shot, fatally shot, after responding to a disturbance at an apartment complex. It is the hardest day we have ever had, said Police Chief Jimmy Spivy, as officers standing on either side of him fought back tears. Officer Sherrod is a brave, tenured police officer who died in the service of his community. Sherrod was the first police officer in the department's 63-year history to die in the line of duty. The community stopped by police headquarters to pay their respects at a makeshift memorial there. Flowers were piled atop a police cruiser, its windows displaying badge number 1078 and Sherrod's SWAT affiliation. I just don't know how to put it into words everything he was, said his older sister, Crystal Goings of Mesquite. The 13-year-old police veteran was a husband, a father of two, a son, and a brother. A jokester who made people laugh, a devout Christian of Watermark Plano Church. Goings said he sang tenor. He had such a beautiful singing voice, his sister said. He could sing. Oh, he could sing. He liked to fish and to sketch. He was also a leader and a friend. You've talked to him once, and it felt like you've known him for years, said his friend Kyle Jobson. Sherrard grew up in Dallas and Mesquite. He graduated from Mesquite High School, where he played football. He attended some college before enrolling in the police academy for Richardson in 2004. He hadn't always wanted to be a police officer when he was younger, his sister said. Sherrod wanted to be a firefighter. God changed his mind, she said. To him, policing wasn't a job. He felt it was his callings, Golding said. Sherrod was also a member of the department's elite SWAT team, which required extensive training. Police records show Sherrod had been injured at least once before while on duty. In 2011, he and another officer were helping a stranded driver when a drunken driving suspect slammed in Sherrod's squad car while he was inside. His car was pushed across North Central Expressway before it came to a halt in an HOV land. He was treated at Medical Center of Plano, now Medical Center Plano Hospital, the same hospital where Sherrod was taken when he was fatally shot. Many of the law enforcement officers who stopped by the hospital after the shooting referred to him as their best friend. February 7th is a day that will forever be marked as the day the Richardson Police Department lost one of its best officers I have ever known. Family friend and fellow Richardson officer Steve Hooten posted on Facebook. David Sherrod was the police officer you would want to show up at your house under any circumstances, he continued. As a fellow officer, he was the type of police officer you want with us on a high-risk call, an officer you would never question if he had your back. We never questioned his bravery. Day nights, 
date nights with his wife, and extracurricular activities with his daughters were a regular part of his life for the Sherrod clan who lived in Wiley. I'm just telling you, family man, family man, family man, going said. And this continues from NBC out of Dallas. Speaking at the service, Sherrod's widow, Nicole Sherrod, said she wanted people to know more about their love story. The high school sweethearts married young, and recently celebrated their 15-year anniversary. Nicole Sherrard shared a deeply personal account of the ups and downs, saying there was a time they grew apart by putting their kids and jobs first. She said the last couple of years were the happiest, as the couple committed to putting God and their marriage ahead of everything else. If you've heard nothing else today, know that it doesn't matter when you're married, where your marriage is at. And it doesn't matter what has happened in your marriage. God can fix it. She continued, nothing is too big for God. You just have to have faith and put it in the work. Let your marriage be your example. Learn from us how short life actually can be, she added. We thought we had forever. Today's show is dedicated to police officer David Charles Sherrod. It is also dedicated to all the first responders out there, whether they are law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We also dedicate this show to the brave men and women that serve in our military from the birth of this nation through today and into the future. May God bless each and every one of them. And we dedicate it with the song, Amazing Grace.
All right, and we're back. You're here listening to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, High Plains, Daily News, up in Stitcher, Spreaker, iTunes, all the heck with it. Just go to our webpage, which is the name of the show, Southern Sense. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Curtis, it looks like we may have our guest in on the line, and let's bring her along and welcome aboard Lucretia Hughes. How are you doing today? I am great. How are y'all doing? All right. I'm I'm doing fine. If I can get through one of these dedications without bawling my eyes out. <laughs> yes, I, I I was listening. Um, I kind of caught the last two minutes of that. That was very heart touching and um, very felt, very heartfelt. Well, we could never say enough to our first responders and to our military men and women. We never give them enough to do. And unfortunately, it's been another record year on law enforcement assaults. Uh, it's it just doesn't stop, and uh, I don't know if today I could still do that job. You know, I I I was proud to be a police officer. I put my ten years in and walked out with different parts of my body replaced because of it. But <laughs> I don't know if I can do it today. Honestly, I have to hand it to the braveness of these men and women out there. That's why you give credit where credit is due, and always say thank you for your service because. People don't have to make that ultimate sacrifice to protect other people. No, it's a volunteer's uh, uh, job. And to look at the problem they had, you know, in Ferguson, the cop, you know, cops being indicted and everything. You know, you, when I was a cop, video cameras were just starting to become the rave. Um, today, everyone has a camera, and no matter what you do, you sneeze in the wrong place, and uh, your your life is ruined. It's it's crazy. It is absolutely crazy. Well, I've had the blessing and the honor to go to Ferguson, Missouri, and actually see that small town and exactly how big that town is to have the riots and the destruction from what happened the following days after the lies were started being spreaded with this hands up, don't shoot. So when it's to me when uh, service people and um, police officers put their lives on the line, you can't lump everybody into a, into the same category. I'm sure there's bad apples in every bunch, but you still say thank you for your service. Oh, absolutely. And the worst part about those riots, because I saw the after effects in Brooklyn, and um, when I became a cop back in the 80s, they were still reeling from the rioting that went on in the late 70s. And there were still burned out buildings there from those riots. So Ferguson is going to take decades to recover. And who gets hurt with those riots? It's not the cops that you, you're, you're talking about. It's not the government you're protesting. It's the local people that owned those shops, the people that hired those people in the neighborhood. They hurt themselves. And, 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 I, don't and I can't necessarily no say that. I can't necessarily say that they hurt themselves because there's proof and evidence that a lot of those people came from out of state, out of town, and was bust into this small community and destroyed it. So they should be held accountable, and so should the leadership that round those people up. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And as you're saying, there was proof, and they were coming up with a, what is that uh, um, website that everyone puts those ads up on? Craigslist, Craigslist brain fart there. There were proof there were ads up on Craigslist telling people, Hey, we'll pay you, you know, X amount of dollars, we'll get you the bus, we'll send you over and, you know, you you say that you're there. And then they turn around and with their postings on social networks where they have the location, the same people were showing up in New York, Baltimore, Ferguson, LA. But you can't tell me this wasn't orchestrated. It's all was orchestrated. I'm 
I this is something that I always say, especially when it came to the the march on Washington with all those millennials or whatever you want to call them. Um, to me, that right there, when you got school buses bringing in students, and then that is unacceptable. You need to be teaching civics and the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, not social justice war, warrior issues, because these kids and these high school is going to need to learn logic, not emotions. You know, it's, it's funny because uh, Curtis, just before the show, sent me an article uh, about New York State wanting to ban uh, shooting clubs and archery clubs in the schools. And what people don't realize is that uh, Congress, when they passed this new uh, School Protection Act, buried in there was saying that they would not give federal funding to any, any school that taught about gun safety. So it, there's already a bill out there. Just no one has bothered to enforce it yet. So the attacks on the NRA are nonstop. Now, you just went to the NRA convention, right? Yes, it was lovely, and I was just num- – I am on the – well, I was just informed yesterday that I'm on the nominating committee for the NRA. So I say thank you all. Did not know I was out there, you know, auditioning for that. I just went to have a good time, network with people, learn more about the Second Amendment, all the exhibitors, the vendors, the celebrities, the patriots. It was a blessing. And. and- the misnomers that have people have about the NRA, I don't know if you saw the clip from uh, Ben Howe, Red State. He was over there, and he ran across Will ha- um, Halloway. He's with he's happens to be an NRA instructor, and they ran into um, I don't even know who the heck this actress is, Alyssa Milano, who has that she no played on show arm. No, never saw it. <laughs> Goes to show how important it was to me, right? And she had the counter-protest out of there, one of two counter-protests. And they they actually circled around the two of them, and they were really harassing them. They also had a reporter there from InfoWars that they circled around and started screaming, chanting at him, hey, hey, NRA, how many kids did you kill today? Okay, uh, I'm going to explain something, the misnomer here. I was on the 19th floor. My hotel room overlooked the whole plaza I mean, everywhere. I can look before the horizon. This this counter-protest that they keep trying, was no one there. It might at night, for the second day, might have been 40 people. That was it. The first day it rained. The second day it was drizzly. There was no protest. This that they're trying to blow up didn't happen. <laughs> I'm telling you, I saw it. <laughs> I was there. I witnessed it. So this big thing of a couple of people trying to make worldwide television, it didn't happen. There was maybe a total of 40 protesters during the whole five days I was there. <laughs> well, the funniest part is, is this Melissa Milano had a bodyguard who happened to have been armed. So here she is. She's protesting guns, but she's got an armed bodyguard with her. Isn't that a little bit hypocritical? It's just like our politicians, the Democrats and the Republicans. You have personal bodyguards. You have all these movie stars, all these big wigs, as I call them. You have personal bodyguards, but you're trying to preach to us when you are the ones that's giving us frivolous legislations and bills in the first place. So why are we going to listen to anything that comes out of Washington when it's only for your good and not the citizens of the United States? Well, I want to change the topic here a little bit because you've got a GoFundMe campaign going on. 
uh, we have this whole flap over Facebook. And I got to tell you, I nearly fell out of my Archie bunker chair laughing the other day because Facebook is now running these. They have to be costing big mega bucks, these ads on TV uh, to, to, you know, push Facebook at this. So they must be lo- losing subscribers left and right. But you had an idea of starting up another social site that is not going to ban conservative voice. Tell us about that. I, I truly believe that there's enough smart IT technical people where Facebook isn't the biggest platform. you got to remember, um, daily, on a monthly, daily basis, 2 billion people log in to Facebook. Now, now understand, this was before the big media hype and them selling our, our information because I was notified I was one of the people that information got sold to uh, Logic Analytical, the third-party country, which was a, a subsidiary of the Obama campaign and the Hillary Clinton campaign. They lost so many people that not only people volunteered to leave, they was leaving Facebook, but then you also have this policy of banning all conservative voices or limiting or shadow banning the conservative voices on your platform. So I think it's a turnoff to the point that us patriots, and if you want to call us nationalist patriots, I don't care what you call us, us patriots, somebody needs to come together and somehow build a platform and also build a network besides Fox News to get the conservative voices out there. Infowars is great. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I love Alex Jones and some of the other ones. But it has to be a bigger platform that we can build together so we can all to come together with like-minded individuals. Well, I thought that's exactly what Breitbart intended when he built his stuff. But we never saw it spread out into the social network area. Well, it has, but you got to remember, in um, about two years ago, before Barack Obama left office, you know, him and Zuckerberg got together and basically said that there was too much news. And, yes, the fake news narrative and word came along with Angela Merkel and uh, Barack Obama when they was over there in Germany. That's how we got the phrase, fake news. So that is when Facebook and Zuckerberg and the federal government decided to push the mainstream conservative news and the media out of their algorithms and bring in more of Snoop. That's why you see now Snoop is the, the fact check for everything, just like the AP is the fact check for journalism. Sometimes we need another outlet to get our information. Well, it's funny because when I was posting the, the show up on hey, the network, I tried to <laughs> oh, I've always, Curtis always hides there in the background, but I found I'm still shadow banned, uh, shadow banned on Reddit. I went to post the show on my own Reddit page and told me I was not authorized to do it. Now they're telling me just to my face. They're not even shadow banning me. They're just simply banning me. So that's that's how bad it is. Go ahead, Curtis. Oh, I was going to say, um, Lucretia, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were once in the Democrat camp, right? Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to say it. I'm black. I was raised in a black household, which meant I voted Democrat. And um, it came about to cause you to change your perspective on on the Democrat Party and how is it that you became a Trump supporter? Um, Barack Obama opened my eyes. You know, that's when I really started paying attention is when I decided to stop for the man. So I really started paying attention, and the things that my father and my family taught me growing up, he was contradicting everything that my parents taught me. So I decided to sit back, and it, the icing on the cake is when they booed God. 
that was it for me. I, I latched on to the, the ne- nearest tea party I could possibly find to make sure I don't go to hell because it's never going to be party over people. It should always be people over party. For Trump, I'm sorry. I've watched Trump since I was a little girl when we only had six channels, maybe that, and, and there was one particular um, um, show that used to come on called The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And I remember Robin Leach introducing Trump when I was a little girl, and this man has not changed from day one. He's an upstanding citizen. He does what he's supposed to do, and he loves his country. And that, and all of that, regardless of what he says out of his mouth, I'm going to support him. But no offense, we're winning. So, hey, Trump, <laughs> way to go. So, how did you get about with the Tea Party? Um, basically, um, I got on Facebook after I went to the Bikers, Veterans, and Truckers Rally. And I, when I was up there, I drove up there by myself to the rally, and I said I need to find out more about the Tea Party. Because, you know, um, I'm headstrong, so you tell me not to do something, I'm going to do it anyway just to see <laughs> – why I shouldn't have did it. But um, I got onto the nearest tea party, went to a meeting, looked around and said, where the black folks? And decided there wasn't any. But um, I just sat there and I have been fed so much wisdom, so much information, so much 2030 and different things that, that most people will never pay attention to. It woke my eyes up not only to the deep state, but to where and how our swamp things and the rhinos and Democrats are treating the citizens of the United States and slowly but surely taking away our rights. And I decided to stand up, straighten my back and march on. Oh man. A lot of people in my tea party are coming in and saying that they're reformed Democrats. (laughs) And it it really makes me happy because they're actually starting to come over to us and saying, Hey, listen, we were wrong about you all along and you do have the right message. And they sit down at one of the meetings and they find out that we're not a bunch of nuts, that we will attack, you know, issues logically. We were, we were battling a school issue here and someone came in from uh, the the uh, Chamber of Commerce, and I knew that this kid was sent deliberately. You know, I knew that he was going to be there because he wanted to report back to what we were saying. And I turned around to him and I said, listen, you live out in St. Helena. Yeah. And I says, you got family that goes to the elementary school out there. Yeah. All right. Do you know how many dollars are actually going from that referendum directly into the classroom to help your relatives and your kids over there to learn better? And he goes, no. And I said, zero. Every single dollar in that referendum goes into a brick-and-mortar project, which includes an air-conditioned hot dog stand out in Hilton Head. Now, Lucretia, you live across the border from me, so you know Hilton Head. Now, how yes, is an air-conditioned hot dog stand in a Hilton Head high school help the classroom over in St. Helena? And I don't you know care. What? And then our poor people, they can afford their own hot dog stand. So somebody, daddy, need to open up their wallet. What? That's not that's not a poor side of town. That's where the rich folks stay, honey. Y'all can't afford y'all own hot dog stands. Y'all better find that money and quit riding off the backs of the middle class and the poor people. <laughs> well, we defeated the referendum. As soon as you explain it that way, where it hits them at home and in the pocket, we can get people to realize, as you did, that there was a hypocrisy in the message. But that's just how I feel. If we can wake more people up, and that's not scared. I'm not politically correct. Oh, my God. We are literally are going to take our country to the hell hole by being politically correct. Correct. Stop tiptoeing around people's feelings. 
because you're scared to offend them because you're going to offend them to lean, lean, learning and leaning the wrong way when we need to get our country back to the right way. So I, if that means I got to tell it like a T-I-E-L-S, I will. Well, you know, the, the funny part is, is that the liberals are now starting to eat their own. I don't know if you, if you heard about this professor that was at this convention in San Francisco. Uh, his name was uh, Richard Ned LeBeau, and he gets in the elevator with a fellow professor, and it was some sort of a convention, psychiatry convention or something like that. And she's a woman's and gender studies professor, and he's a political theory professor. And she supposedly she asks him what floor would he like to go. And he clowns around. There's a couple other guys in the elevator with him. And he goes, woman's lingerie. I mean, that joke is so old. If you haven't heard it, come on. She gets offended. But she doesn't confront him there in the elevator. She files a complaint with the International Studies Association, and then they turn around and reprimand him, saying he violated the code of conduct. And when he turned around and tried to settle the issue with her one-on-one in an email, you know, he he wrote to her, "Um, I I certainly had no desire to insult women or make you feel uncomfortable. Like you, I am strongly opposed to the exploitation, coercion, or humiliation of women. As such evils continue, it seems to me to make sense to direct our attention to real offenses, not those that are imagined or marginal. By making a complaint to the ISA that I consider frivolous and I expect will be judged this way by the Ethics Committee, you may be directing time and effort away from the real offenses that trouble us both. And instead of solving the situation, she gets even more irate, and the committee once again tells them, hey, you're going to be fined or something. You're going to be punished. Well, I'm probably going to get some hate mail. I don't. She either was ugly. Did nobody want her, or some man broke her heart, tiny little heart, and she had been riding that broomstick for a very long time, and somebody helped pull it out, because seriously, laugh, let it go, and go on with your life. That was nothing, nigga. You're going to, what? You're going to report somebody because they hurt your feelings. Honey, grow up. Now, the funny thing is, is that my husband and I were over at uh, MUSC up in Charleston, the hospital up there, and we get in the elevator. And as I go to push the button, we look at each other. We just go, woman's lingerie. So, I think, guys, anyone near a building with an elevator, when they ask which floor, just respond, woman's lingerie. That, that's a lot of bitter, hateful people. I don't think, I think people just take life too serious. Some things you just got to roll with punches, let it go, laugh. And then, but the left, and I'm just going to say it, they, they're ruled by emotions. That is why their party is imploding from within. The Democratic Party is no longer the, the party of mine and Curtis' grandparents. It is now and ruled by socialists and communist people that is so far to the left, it doesn't even look like the Democratic Party. So they need to go ahead and change the name. <laughs> well, I'll take that even one step further. And I see we got a couple of people in the chat room Uh one from Canada and one from uh, England, they're going to be appreciate this because, you know, England has been going liberal more and more, and there is a huge fight to bring back, you know, uh, more conservatism, conservatism in government. But this woman showed up on um, ABC. <laughs> Believe it or not, uh, Sky News took them to task. Uh, this woman, Diane Carson, uh, 
wanted to establish a culture of consent in homes starting from birth. So she she I read that expert. Honey, you ain't a parent. Number one, it looked like don't nobody want to fertilize with you. So you're not a parent. And I'm sure I'm not going to tap my little newborn and say, is it okay if I change you? That's not going to happen. Where are these people coming from? And what they drinking so I can um, not drink any of it, okay? So our, our listeners will understand what we're talking about. This Diane Carson on ABC, she said, I'm going to change your nap. She's talking to her baby or supposed alleged baby. She's saying the parents should be saying this. I'm going to change your nappy now. Is that okay? Of course, the baby's not going to respond. Yes, mom. That's awesome. I'd love to have my nappy changed, but you have to leave a space and wait for body language and wait to make eye contact. Then you're letting the child know their response matters. So in other words, the child is in charge from the day it's born to the day that you die. You have no say over <laughs> the child's going to tell you how to raise them, right? Uh, yeah, I don't give – yeah, thank you. You pick at people like that. Those are the people that you whisper and you give them the eye contact so they know you. we're talking about you because you're stupid. There. The next story. <laughs> that was incredibly. Is my like fifteen minutes gone? Okay, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you see something like this coming up as you know news <laughs> and, and, and a nationwide TV interview, and they actually entertain this woman as if she's serious. It's not like she's going on Tucker Carlson where he's going to make faces at her and rip her apart. Oh yes, that would be a good actually, thing. Get Tucker to get her on. Yeah, I think I'll send a message over to Fox. Speaking of which, now, if this doesn't embarrass CNN, I don't know what will. And I'm sure you saw this one also. Uh, but they had the uh, ratings for last month among the Nelson Media Research ratings. And uh, what <laughs> the highest rated show on CNN, which happens to be Anderson Cooper 360, could not beat the lowest rating show on Fox News, which happens to be Shannon Bream. And I happen to love her. I don't see why she's the lowest. Now, she's rated at 13th. Anderson Cooper doesn't even come up close to her. He's down at 24th. So, number one, three three of the top five happen to be Fox News programs, including Sean Hannity. Uh, (laughs) I think the other one is Laura Ingram and Tucker Carlson. So you get three out of five are top five from Fox. And CNN still cannot even <laughs> reach the bottom-rated show from Fox News. Is that not embarrassing? It should be because there used to be the foremost news that we used to always watch when something major happened. You turn to CNN. They fell off during Obama. It's just like um, the Democrats did with Hillary Clinton, gave them the whole war chest. So the CNN gave Obama their whole war chest, and now they cannot recuperate. <laughs> <laughs> they 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 propaganda machine <laughs> of the left. And it's the funny thing is, is that you know, CNN when it came around it was around long before Fox News came out. And yes, everyone turned into it if something major was coming on. And they were, you know, pretty even in their coverage. You know, there was a couple that leaned left, but you know, you kind of forgave them because the coverage was just that good. And they really had set the rating, the bar at that point. And there was one team that would come on early in the morning, something like around you know, 4 o'clock in the morning, and they were excellent. My husband and I would actually wake up at 4 in the morning just to watch them because they were that good. 
but what they have fallen into today, I don't know if they would be able to survive. As you said, they gave their whole war chest to the Clintons. And the Clintons just said, mm, money, it's mine now. <laughs> Let's buy another plane. And anything that is, if you notice, and it's just Clinton side, anything that the Clintons touch is toxic, poison, corrupt, and just evil. That's just the touch of the Clintons. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Go ahead, Curtis. I'm sorry. Okay. Curtis? Now, you you travel a lot, pretty much as as I do. Where are some of the places that you're spoken, and how are you received as a black Republican, and what is the message you want to get across? The message I want to get across is unity and wake up America. You know, for the longest they have divided us within with the tit for tats. When they do the tit for tats, there's something important coming down the line. Now, wake up, America. Let's get back together. Where I'm spoken at is tea parties, um, the Second Amendment rallies, um, the Patriot Network Summit, prestigious private school in St. Louis, Missouri, down in Florida, Texas. You know, I I don't care where it's at. And in September, I will be speaking at the Mothers of All rally on the Washington Mall. I really don't care. I'm not turning down any opportunities. Thank you, Curtis, for, you know, you just trying to do what you're doing for me. I really appreciate it, but this is a path that God has had, got me on, and I'm just going to put my seatbelt on and hold on tight. Well, I think oh, and how am I reserved? Really- I, I don't write down anything. I, know, I really want to stress that to people because they always say, well, we need for you to uh, write a speech. I don't write speeches. I pray before I step on stage. And I say, God, let me decrease and let you increase. And whatever comes up, comes out. So how I'm received, I have to go back and rewatch video because I don't remember half the stuff that I say. <laughs> <laughs> that that off the top of the head uh, is, is often the most powerful way to speak. You know, I had to um, introduce a candidate running for office and I wasn't I wasn't prepared to do that. I just got pulled out of the crowd because, you know, someone from Tea Party Express saw me sitting there and said, well, you know, I want you to introduce. And I said, I'm not prepared. I got no makeup on. I'm wearing blue jeans. And I spoke for about maybe a total of five minutes. And this congressman's head snapped around. He stared at me and looked at me with his mouth open and said, oh, shit. Excuse me. <laughs> but uh, what the heck did I just say? And I sat down and I was I was so nervous. I was shaking. And I've spoken in public before. You know, I shouldn't have been shaking, but I just thought maybe I said something wrong. And later on, he told me, he goes, no, what you said in five minutes took me more than 20 minutes to say. It's, it's sometimes talking off the top of your head. God is putting those words there for you to speak. And that's the tongues. One of the things that I've been, re, you know, one thing that will always stick with me, that uh, people consider it an insult. And yeah, it kind of was. But they said, I'm not polished enough. Whatever that means, okay, but I'm, you're not going to stop me. I, I literally had one of the top people, now that I'm finding out who the lady actually was, try to embarrass me at my very first Tea Party convention. I guess she didn't know who I was. I'm just a newcomer, a black chick in a convention by herself. And she, she looked at me and she said, uh, you will never win. You're, you're not ready to run against the big dogs. And I looked at her and I said, I guess you don't know me. But you have a great day, and I walked off. And every time I see her, she drops her head. Hey, sweetie, you remember me? Oh, I'm sure you do. Yes, don't ever dare me to do anything because I will prove you wrong each and every time. 
Oh, man. We we had a, a friend of ours and a friend of the show here, a Leon Wynn. He was running against Clyburn, and he was up at one of our, our conventions in Myrtle Beach a number of years back. And, you know, he had gone and done his speech, and he stepped down, and he was at his table getting people to support him in his in his run. And one of the, the people, and she was a Tea Party person, walks up to him. She goes, I didn't know you were black. <laughs> and his wife is sitting there. I'm sitting there. And we're trying not to fall onto the floor laughing. <laughs> I mean, how do you walk up to someone like you and say, I didn't know you were black? Well, I just look down at my skin. I, I know I'm not supposed to be sarcastic. <laughs> they be like, I didn't know you was black. Dang, I didn't either. What, what happened? Oh, my God. Yeah. Just to be like, seriously, you oh. said something like that. Check yourself, sweetie. Check yourself. <laughs> well, bless his heart, because he just smiled and he said, thank you for letting me know. <laughs> <laughs> but some people just don't know. Oh. Those are the ones you got to say, bless your sweetheart. You got to put the sweet in it to make it a real bad insult. Bless your sweetheart. <laughs> now, living, yeah. in, living in the South, you know that. Oh, sorry, Curtis, go ahead. I just want to say that you're in good company because they said that um, Trump wasn't polished enough to be president. And I think Trump is showing that um, it's not about being a slick, polished, and um, well managed you know, candidate or politician is what's come from the heart that matters, you know. Well, look what happened. I mean, we had George W. Bush. I'm sorry. We had George Bush Sr. We had Bill Clinton. We we had, we well, was Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and then we had Obama. Yeah, we're sick of the polished politicians, and look where, how big our government has grown since we've had the polished politicians in office. I think they pass laws only to protect themselves because if any of us normal human beings out here would have did a tenth of what they're accused of in Washington, D.C., we would be under Leavenworth as a double standard. You know, they I, put party over people, well, and that's a, both parties. Well, I got a question for you then. Uh, did you watch the uh, speech uh, Trump did in Elkin yesterday? No, I did not. Um, I have a huge opportunity next week. To shoot, uh, shoot uh, something. <laughs> so I've been really, um, because I do a T-shirt line, and so I really want that T-shirt line to be um, the main focus. All American um, entrepreneur, everything that what represents and why America is great. And I've just been cleaning and making sure that I put the best foot forward venture of my life. So I've literally haven't been live really this week at all. So I haven't been on social media. Right, well, I've been getting prepared. Well, as soon as you get your line together, we're going to have you back on, and we'll help you pump it. But yesterday in <laughs> Trump's speech, I, I was listening to him and his grammar. And here's a guy that went to an Ivy League college or a military school or whatever, so he should have excellent grammar. But I, I, at one point he says, I got no. And then I'm going, what? And then he used a double negative in another one. And I'm going, well, you know a speechwriter was not working with this man because everything was just coming out of his mouth. It was completely unplanned. Even though he had the teleprompters there, I didn't see him look at him all that often. Maybe to just see where he was, you know, what his next point was going to be. But everything off that man is off the top of his head. When I encounter older people, my grandparents' age or my mom's age, and I don't like him. Why? He sounds just like y'all. And they'll sit there and look at me and say, he sure do. 
Yes, he sounds like y'all, how y'all used to talk to us. You don't have no filter. You say it like a T.I. is. You're not going to mince words, and you're going to get your point across the first time. We have been in the nanny state for so long. Everybody is cuddled and coddled and ready for their next trophy when they ain't did a dang on thing to deserve that trophy anyway. I would rather have a president got some cojones that is not scared to put United States back on the world stage at number one where we deserve. Because if we're going to be the world's ATM, you better, instead of us going buying down to them, they will come over here and give us the utmost honor and respect. Well, you know, it's funny. There was an article, uh, New York Times, and it was reprinted in my local paper, and it caught my eye. And I'm saying, New York Times is writing something positive about Donald Trump? And I'm going to ask this about my next guest, too, but... Uh, they're writing that uh, for the first year, Trump had advisors in there that were holding him back. Once he got rid of those advisors, such as McMaster's and Kelly, he is going forward, and it's Trump. It's Trump's policy 100%. Um, he's saying, uh, where is he going? Having shed or sidelined some of the top advisors who held him back in the past, Trump gives the appearance of a leader liberated at last to follow the China-breaking instincts that have long animated his approach to the world, even as they, as they troubled diplomats and national security veterans of both parties. And they go on to say that, you know, we are now starting to put America's first. And there's the Okay, now I'm going gonna, gonna to reread that in layman's terms. Trump is a great negotiator. He's a CEO. He fired people that need to be fired, delegated people that need to be hired, and he's getting the ball rolling. United States is a business. It's always been ran like a business, so why not get one of the best negotiators in the world to get our American back on track and get the lobbyists, the lawyers, and the U.N. delegates out of our government? And it goes for the Muslim Brotherhood at the same time. Our nations were founded on uh, Judeo-Christian values, and we need to bring that back. We have a man that's going to put American first and America first, and he loved his country without a shadow of a doubt. And I'm going to stay on the Trump train until I find out he slept with Hillary Clinton. And then it's off the Trump train I go. <laughs> oh, man, that's nasty. I don't, I don't, I, oh, now I'm not going to get that out of my head. <laughs> Man, <laughs> my eyes, my eyes. Oh man, we got to call her in on the line. Let me bring this individual up. All right, Eric Code eight one six. You're on the air live with Southern Sense. I'm your host Annie. Our guest is Lucretia Hughes. I can't even talk today. Uh, who am I speaking to? Annie, Lucretia, it's Thomas. Thomas, we haven't hey, heard Thomas. from you in a while. How are you doing today? I am doing awesome. I I decided to call in because you were you were interviewing my little sister. I call her my little sister, even though she got me by. She's a baby compared to me because I'm old. But so I'll just be nice. But anyway, um, I just wanted to call in and listen and, and just let you know because I've known you for a while, Lucretia. I can speak. I can speak as someone who has done events with her. This woman is real, as you as you found out, and she is not about just talking the talk, but she's about walking the walk and bringing solutions, not just to rally people, but to get things done. So 
I'm just going to listen back on mute, and that's all I wanted to say. Well, thank you, Thomas. Oh, bless you, Thomas. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, I, I consider Thomas my other son. <laughs> Love when that people guy. say that to me, um, or, uh, you know, I'm not one of those people that uh, I'm, um, it's, I need to say thank you because I, I, my favorite words is, I is who I is. I'm not changing for anybody. If you don't like me, tough titties. It's just the way it is. I just don't, I'm, I'm tired of tiptoeing around. I have seven grandchildren, and I'm trying to save some resemblance of what the United States is about. Oh, I, having seen you face-to-face, I cannot believe you've got grandchildren, honestly. You are too <laughs> youthful looking. Yes, and I don't have a sexy grandma name. It's just grandma. I didn't get Mimi or grandma. I just got grandma, so I got an old grandma name. (laughs) Now, you're the one that brought up Clinton not once but twice in this interview, Uh, so I'm going to lay this on you. Um, There's a recent report, and no one is talking about this, uh, but the server, Hillary Clinton's server, uh, was put into evidence uh, back in, was it uh, August of 2015? And then, for some strange reason by the FBI, they lost the chain of custody of the evidence between August and October. For, so no, for they over didn't. two months. No, they didn't. Oh, they yes, just they didn't did. want to be found yes, floating in the river or some cement bricks for shoes. Let me tell you something. Hillary Clinton is the J. Edgar Hoover of our time. She got probably got a memo or a flash drive on every citizen in the United States. No one is going to cross her. She has too much power and too much information. They let the Clintons get away with murder since the Nixon years. I don't care what they got on Hillary Clinton. The only person that's going to pull her card is Satan when he calls on his contract. Is, this is what they've got now. So now this server that the FBI has in custody because they cannot verify the chain of custody cannot be used as evidence. So this is another reason why Hillary Clinton will walk scot-free and will never wear an orange jumpsuit. But she's going to burn in hell for eternity and eternity, and that is the outcome of her hateful soul that she sold to Satan a long time ago. That gives me solace and happiness to know that Ding Dong, the witch, shall be soon be dead and meeting her maker. So all the evil she has ever done from Hades to pay to play to Benghazi to documents to wipe and service to everything else to the dossier that she got on every human being, she will rot in hell, and I'm happy for that. <laughs> well, it even gets more convoluted because this was all under Comey's and Mueller's watch. And now you're finding Comey, after he had been fired, gets a hold of Mueller and decides to discuss his testimony before he goes before Congress. And it it doesn't even get to – that's not the end of it. We find out that McCain is coming out with a brand-new biography, autobiography, and in it he admits he's the one that gave Mueller and Comey the dossier. Yeah, I've got cricket. This is – Next, <laughs> like seriously, is it um, Matrix is my favorite movie? Or you do you want to take the red pill? Or you want to take the blue pill? You take the red pill, you will wake up forever and now not be able to go back to sleep. Or you could take the 
the blue pill and continue to stay sleep to the fact of everything that's going on. I took the red pill a long time ago. This is like a made-for-movie mafia style. I'm just sitting back with popcorn and be like, that ain't right, but what can I do? But just keep shouting, that's not right. No, nothing is going to happen well, to any of the key players because if that happens, the shadow government will not allow them to even try to get up there to testify. Well, we got, we got uh, Sasquatch. I, I call him Sasquatch. Bigfoot in the chat room. He just typed in, <clears throat> Hillary is not good enough for heaven, and hell is afraid she'll take over. <laughs> oh, that's true, isn't it? <laughs> well, uh, comment of the day. He won the internet comment of the day. <laughs> And our friend Kel uh, also states that you don't look like you have grandkids. And by the way, <laughs> Kel has her own radio show here. So <laughs> you, Lord, you're getting fans. Tell us, thank you. Whoever that was, thank you very much. You can always ask me my weight. I will tell you 143 pounds. <laughs> Just one last, because I'm looking at the clock. We only got a few minutes left with you, and it's always so much fun to talk with you. I mean, I wish we could have hung out at the convention longer, because you and I would have cracked that place up. Um, <laughs> they're out in California. <laughs> you know it's true. <laughs> and poor Curtis will be going, I don't know them. <laughs> well, we're going to have to do it soon. <laughs> oh, yeah, because like I said, you're just over the border. Um uh, out in California, there's a Democrat representative. Of course, it has to be a Democrat, Eric Stalwell. And he's got a bill that he's putting up before Congress. And you know it's not going to go anywhere. Where it's going to be mandatory uh, gun confiscation. Anything that could be semi-automatic, which means that half my handguns would be confiscated. And if you don't confiscate, you know, he's proposing the government buy them back. Maximum buyback being $1,000, so he wants $15 billion nationwide to buy back guns. And if a person doesn't do the buyback, they can be prosecuted. How's that sound? That's, that's my sheep. That's my sheep call. <laughs> Who going to fall for that? Who is falling for Lord, y'all ain't getting none of my guns. Not at all. My Second Amendment guaranteed. I am a normal citizen without any kind of criminal record. And I don't care if I go get an aspirin from my doctor. You will not get my guns. So these little Democrats and these little um, Altifas people, y'all need to sit down somewhere. David Hoggs, your 15 minutes is up. I hope they exploited you to the best of your ability. Put a smile on your face. Quit. Stop looking angry and go graduate college. Fair. <laughs> but you know, all these crazy ideas come out of California, New York. Uh, they have um, th- where it's the largest collection in the urban areas of liberal politicians. You know, they come up with these crazy ideas, and California I, is getting nuttier and nuttier by the day. But you got to remember, when President uh, Trump won, they started screaming about the popular vote again. Well, if you actually look at the the electoral college and the electoral how people voted, those hot pockets of urban funk and brutes of the United States are the largest landman when it comes to population. I refuse to have major cities 
speak for the rest of the people of the United States. So those four key states that think they're going to step in and rule over the United States, you know what, Andreas Fault, go ahead and get a 10 on the Richter scale, put them in the Pacific Ocean since they want to succeed from the United States in the first place. Just go ahead and make them fall off. Let it be the new, new Mexico. Good luck with that. <laughs> well, unfortunately, Connecticut just passed the popular vote. So they're jumping on the bandwagon, too. And that's a shame because now it leaves only six more states, and then we will see the Electoral College be a moot point. They can do what they want to do. There's too many people like me in the United States that you might not see on mainstream, mainstream media. But when you have the citizens in California going to their, their commissioners and showing out about the sanctuary state, they are finally speaking out, and their elected officials, some of them, or listening. They got to understand we rule y'all. Y'all don't rule us. And when people get that in their head that our congressmen, our senators and legislators, they don't rule us. We make the shot calls. So until people wake up and realize how much power they actually have, then you know what? We're going to keep getting those same old nutcases that need to be in Venezuela digging out the trash can. Man, it's Everyone in the chat room is really enjoying you, and they want you to come back on the show. You know, we had you here before, so we're definitely going to have you back on. want to let you know also that up on our show page, I put the link to your Facebook page so people can watch your podcast that you broadcast up there on Facebook, as well as your GoFundMe campaign. So help you put together a conservative network. You know, I think you've got a you know, and it also allows me to travel. You know, Curtis knows a lot about my story. So when people donate to the GoFundMe, it allows me to go to places like Texas and Florida and places like that. Because now that we are selling T-shirts, that is also helping me be able to travel more. Because a lot of these small, you know, groups don't have a lot of money. And I'm not that big to be even asking for change. But so when people donate to me, it tell them it's paying it forward in my life which allows me to pay it forward to the next human being. And that is what I want to be known for. So a lady that left her mark and left a nice feeling when you meet her. It's funny because um, the T-shirt I'm wearing on camera today happens to be from my church, and on the back of it is a quote from Hebrews, and I'm probably going to mess it up, but basically it's saying to go out and inspire people to love and to do good deeds. I'm paraphrasing it, but basically that's what Hebrews says, which is what you're doing. But also wake them up to the society and to what our legislators are doing. Because you know my story. I had my first son at 15, my fourth child by the age of 20. I've been in the projects. I've been in the hood. I was on welfare, every social um, government program. But it took at the age of 25 to wake me up. And it's still a long haul, a long struggle, because you never stop learning. And I refuse to give up now that I'm awake. And if that means going into schools or churches or anywhere that I am asked to go, I would love to be blessed to be able to go there. Well, Lucretia, it has been a lot of fun having you on, and we definitely are going to have you come back on the air. And our next guest I see up in the bullpen, he's waiting patiently. Uh, So, Lucretia, God bless you for all the hard work you you do. And I'm telling people to check out your Facebook page, check out your website. Do you have your T-shirt merchandise linked to your your Facebook page? It's on my um, YouTube. Any video that I do, I always link it up to www.libby.com. 
L-I-B-B-I-E-S-E-W-S, LibbySouls.net. So, you know, I have different designs, different colors. It's for them to pick. Well, I'm going to add that to um, the, the show page, too, so when people listen to the podcast, they can go directly to it also. So I'll do that later Thank on you so too. much. How's that going? And y'all stay blessed, and oh, thank you so much. And your next guest, Jim, hey, even though I can't see you. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll see you Thanks next week. Thanks a lot, Libby. All right, y'all have a good one. All right. Bye. All right, thank you on. so much. All right, that was Lucretia Hughes. Let's bring up our next victim, if the computer is going to allow me to do this, and it's there we go. There we go. Good afternoon, Jim. How are you today? I'm pretty good. How are you? All right. All right. Sorry about the mix-up uh, last time, but, hey, <laughs> defecation occurs, as we say. It's, it's all on me, a novice. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you've got several books out there. Let me just get my paperwork up in order. I've got to switch pages here. Um, you've got three different books out there on Islam. And uh, one of them is Muslim Men Fear Women, which I loved, uh, Experiencing Islam and Islam in the Workplace. And no one, I, I can't think of anyone outside of uh, someone that was former Muslim to be as uh, knowledgeable as, in Islam as you are. I, I shouldn't say no one, but you are one of the most knowledgeable because you lived out there among them when you worked in the diplomatic uh, part of the government. Yeah. Yes, I lived and worked uh, for over over a decade in uh, Islamic-controlled, dominated countries, and I got to know Islam up close and personal in a couple of ways, a couple of not so pleasant, and some others that were were pleasant. So I've I've had a lot of experience there, and I can talk about a lot of that, and I write a lot about it as well. Well, yeah, you start off just about all of your books with an intro, you know, telling about that you are not an Islamophobe. You're, you don't hate Muslims, but you just hate certain things. I, I love Muslims. I love Muslims that don't kick dogs, that don't beat their wives, who don't kill their babies, who don't butcher their female women to make them sexually incompatible or whatever. I, I love Muslims who are decent, respectful, People and I met a great great number of them, but some are not that way. And the, the the teachings of Islam do not allow Muslims to make friends with infidels. So there are a lot of the Muslims who adhere to that. That's what ISIS did. Uh, the Muslims ever since uh, 9/11 have killed millions of Christians and other non-Muslims in the Middle East because that is what the Muhammad taught them. So if you're a Sharia-compliant Muslim, you're obliged to hate me, even though they've never met me. They're obliged to hate you, even though they've never met you and know nothing about you. That is the teachings of their dogma, of their Koran. And unfortunately, millions of Muslims agree with that because they probably don't know any better. They don't have any Western experience or knowledge or, or education. But irregardless, they live by the Koran. And that is so so tragic yeah, for it, so much of the world. It is, it is. Because we had um, this, this seminar 
here in where I live, and they brought in two imams, and one of the imams starts to quote the Quran, saying that the Muslim can be friends with the Christians and the Jews, and he stops there. And I happened to have had my Quran in hand, and I said, wait a minute, you didn't finish the whole thing. It's before Muhammad. So once Muhammad was born and Islam came to be the faith, everyone must be a Muslim. And yes. he didn't like that too much. According to Islamic teaching, Muhammad was the perfect man. And every Muslim man should strive to emulate Muhammad in every way possible. One of the things that Muhammad said in the Quran a couple of times is that he is the greatest of deceivers. He's the greatest liar. And one of the things that is a part of Islam is a, thing, is a practice called taqiyah. That is where an imam or any Muslim practicing uh, Islam in the United States who is dealing with any kind of a non-Muslim is allowed to, he is encouraged to, he is instructed to tell lies, to, to befuddle us, and to propagandize us. And that is what so many of the imams do. Then the one of the things I, when, I, when I first started, people said, if you want to learn about Islam, go and talk to an imam. I did. I got lied to. Okay, and it was very that simple. And that is what is going to happen to anybody who goes to talk to an imam about Islam. He's going to be lied to because the, the imams are practiced, they are really well-trained, and they are dedicated to their craft. And the craft is lying. Well, I had one of the imams raise his mini-pocket constitution declaration of independence above his head, and he said Sharia law will never... Uh, replaced the Constitution and the Declaration. And the moment he said that, I said, uh-oh, we got another case <laughs> of Takiyah here. That's right. That is but that's, that's true. Yeah. So therefore, they're, 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 Sharia must be the law of the land, right? Excuse me? Sharia must be the law of the land. It will replace the Constitution. Sharia is based on the Koran. And Sharia is the only law that Muslims will follow. They do not believe in the Constitution. They will maybe abide by some of it right now because they're not in a position of strength and power. But if and when they gain this position of strength and power, they will rise up and they will destroy the Constitution. They will tear it up. They will shred it. And they will be very, very thorough about it in this country. When the, when the Muslims took over Egypt, which at one time was a totally Christian nation, and the books, uh, the repositories of, or the libraries of Alexandria, Alexandria contained hundreds and thousands of manuscripts, mostly written on leather and scrolls and stuff like that. When the Muslims took over, it, they spent six months burning every last one of those pieces of information, irreplaceable. There was no secondary repository of some of the information that was wiped out, that was destroyed, that was done away with because it did not extol the virtues of Muhammad the pedophile. And they will do that here. They will go into homes. They will look for copies of constitutional writings. And if people, they will tell everybody first to turn it in. And then they will go and inspect homes. And if they find it, people will be killed just for holding onto that precious piece of literature. That is what well, they plan to do. They have a, 
God forbid they have a Torah or a Bible. You know, that, that would be even worse. Um, our friend Kel uh, wrote in the chat room that there's a political party in Belgium called the Islam Party. And they are mm-hmm. no longer in hiding. They are being extremely overt in what they're doing. Yes. Muslims are moving into Belgium and taking over everything in sight. They are producing large families. And it's been predicted that by the year 2050, Belgium will be a Muslim nation. It's already happening in Sweden, too. But the Swedes, unfortunately, are so liberal and so so willfully ignorant and stupid. And I'm I, I'm, I'm of Swedish descent. <laughs> and uh, they, they, they're letting Islam run the country. And people who say anything right now about Islam that is not favorable are being thrown into prison in England, even in Germany and parts of Europe. It's happening already. The takeover, Eurabia, is going to become a real thing before long. And, the, you know, changing the name of London to Londonistan is probably not too far-fetched. Yeah, and then they lash out when you have nationalist groups that want to return to their European heritage, where you, they want them to assimilate into Germany. And, oh, good for, Lord, Angela Merkel is upset because she has to post guards outside of schools and synagogues because the German people are being, the kids themselves are being attacked and beaten because they come to school or because they eat pork. That's right. And then she's surprised. Yeah, the, the, the low, some of those leaders in, in Europe, I'm, I'm sad to say, need to be treated like Mussolini because they're leading the people mm-hmm. astray. They are, they're, uh, as far as Christians, they are about as anti-Christ as you can be. They are leading their Christian nations down the garden path to perdition. And this is absolutely the wrong thing to do. I talk about that in, in, in some of my writings. I do blogs, and I also talk about it in my books. You know, like one of my books, the Experiencing Islam, is about dealings I have had with Muslims, my knowledge of Islam, and what the Muslims' intentions are. And that's not nice. They intend to colonize the United States in, in a more, far more brutal way than we ever did with the American Indians. When the Muslims colonized and took over, Egypt, they killed almost all of the Christians as they took everything over. And they left a few around to do the dirty work, the dimmies, to be slaves, to virtual slaves to the Muslims. And this is what is happening in, happened in other countries. And it, it's really been very terrible. Uh, in the ISIS in Syria and Iraq probably eradicated, eradicated. That's ethnic cleansing. Over two million Christians, and the others have fled to other countries to where they could hide out, and they're living in terrible places. We talk about bringing refugees into the United States. Well, there are about over 2 million Christians in Crete and Cyprus and parts of Greece living in squalid, terrible camps. They are legitimate refugees because if they go home, they'll be killed because they're Christians, and we should be bringing them to the United States. They would be eternally grateful to come here. They would become solid, great citizens. I know a lot of Egyptian and Syrian Christians, Lebanese Christians who are here in the United States, and they are hardworking, devoted, dedicated, passionate citizens. And I don't think you'll find anybody more passionate 
about being a good citizen than some of these guys. We have to remember back about 10 years ago, there was a U.S. Navy SEAL named Noor. He was, he was from uh, Pakistan. And when they were fighting someplace in, I believe it was Afghanistan, a hand grenade was thrown into the place where he was, and he dove, he put his body on top of that hand grenade to protect his, his friends and his fellow soldiers. That is the type of people these, will, these people will become, passionate, passionate American citizens. You can't imagine more patriotic people than some of these people are. And we need to bring them here because they will be good for us, very good for us. This is what I've, I've written to President Trump a couple of times, and I've, I've suggested that they uh, increase the refugee program for these Christian refugees because they deserve a break. They've never had a break in their home country for many, many years, and they'll be very good people to have in our country and in, among us. Exactly. The only problem we have Huh? I was just going to mention that the problem we have with, with the, bringing the Christians over is that all their identification, all their possessions were taken away from them. They're dumped in these refugee camps, and they're intimidated, so it's hard to vet them, and yet there are Muslims pretending to be Christians so they can come in here. And it's, they've caused a deliberate problem just to further intimidate the Christians and prevent them from migrating to a country that will welcome them with open arms. So they're getting it from all sides. Yeah, that's a part of, that's a part of the problem. We need, to, we need to get after our politicians. We, have, we need to get after the people in the executive branch, uh, the Department of Homeland Security, the Immigration Service, and all these others, to, to encourage them to bring these poor people to this country where they will have a life. And they will be so proud and so pleased and so grateful to be here, we will have no problems with them at all. Uh, one of the things I did Curtis, when I was in ahead. the state. Hmm? One of the things right, I did when I was jump in, in here. Oh, well, well, go ahead and finish your talk, Jim. Go ahead and finish your talk, and I ask my question. I didn't get Jim? that. He said, go ahead and finish your thought, and then he wanted to ask you a question. Yes. Go ahead. You were saying that one of the things you did in the State Department. Well, when I was in the State Department, one of the things I did, in the State Department, we often wear a number of hats, and as we move from one country to another, we might have different jobs and different job descriptions. But uh, one of the things I was trained in, I was trained as a vice consul. I had a commission. That means I worked with refugees. I worked with visas. I worked with immigration. I worked with all all of those things, and it was a lot of a lot of work. It was interesting work, but I did meet some refugees who were so terribly desperate, trying to get out of those some places, especially in the Middle East. And I, I did everything I could to try and help them, and they were they were very grateful, happy people. When they finally got a break and were able to leave and come to a home, the shining star on the top of the mountain, as George H.W. Bush referred to the United States. And this is, for them, that shining star. The only star above that is God for them. It's very important. It's very, very important for us to recognize these people and to get out there and help them to get a real life in in a decent place. Anyway, All right, I'm ready. I'm ready for my question. Yes. Go ahead. From what I understand, 
from what I understand, Japan does not allow Islam in this country. Now, what is Japan seeing that people here on the left cannot see about Islam? Japan allows Muslims into the country as guest workers. And the Japanese have a very strict guest worker plan where they can stay for two years and then they have to leave. Uh, some, in some cases, they are finding and marrying Japanese women, and then they are being allowed to stay. But that is that is the problem they have there. Uh, it's, it's not a great problem yet, but they are. It is uh, more and more Muslims are marrying Japanese women and gaining toeholds in Japan. A lot of them come there from uh, deceptively, and they cheat and they lie. And the Japanese are very decent people. They often accept our truth at face value, and they don't look behind it, and they get deceived quite often. But they are aware of it, and they're doing, they're doing you know, measures, taking measures to protect and control their country. And I think that's very, very good. Uh, the Chinese are another group that are very, very strict about it. They have Muslims on their eastern frontier that they have been fighting with for a thousand years. So the Chinese know very, very well what the threat of Islam is to their country, and that's why they are so strict. They have to be kind of neutral, they feel, so they are, they are strict on all religions, but the Muslims are the most difficult ones that they have to deal with, and they have a threat that is existing, an existential threat to China, and the Chinese are aware of this. This is one of the, one of the good things about China. The same thing with Russia. Russia has been dealing with uh, Muslims on the southern frontier for about 800 years. Catherine the Great fought against them several battles, and they've taken control of parts of places, but you know, that's where you get the Chechnya, Dagestan, and other countries where they have Muslims that are a very, very serious problem for the Russian people. This is, you know, this is a complicated thing for a lot of people, but it's not complicated for them because after you've been dealing with a threat, with a with a monster in your midst, a, a cancer in your in your system, for 800 to 1,000 years, people tend to learn and understand it quite well, quite easily. This is what they're doing. We we don't know that. We have so many people in this country, who who are I, I call them willfully ignorant, who don't understand, and they're trying to welcome these people in. And of course, the Muslims come in. They're all smiling and sweet and honey, love, honey, love, you know, lovely people. Your great neighbors and all that kind of stuff. This is part of the subterfuge of the coming into this country as colonizers. And at some point, when they reach a, a numerical, a numerical superiority, they will mm -hmm. rise up and start doing things. Right now, in 2018, we are seeing the result of of uh, probably about 15 years of the interfaith dialogues and the the the, uh, the Muslims being very nice and friendly and homey. I call it a charm offensive. Right now we have many hundreds of Muslims running for political office all over the United States, and some of them are going to get elected, and they're going to, you know, this is another step in the colonization of our, of our country. The people who don't see that are endangered, and, and a lot of people don't want to see that. We have a lot of politicians who will not see that. We have a lot of politicians who have been bought and paid for by the Muslims. 
They are in the Muslims' pockets, and they are doing things that are not good for the United States or American people. This is part of part of things that's progressing, and we need to get more people tuned into what's actually happening. It's a tough way to educate because they don't want to hear about it. They want to stick their head in the sand. So this is something we have to work on and keep working on and keep pushing. And, and we're right, frankly, we're not doing it very well right now. We need to keep pushing it harder because the Muslims are very sly. They're very well trained. They're really highly organized. And they're, they're moving all over the country like uh, capillaries under our skin. They're just, they're just spreading all over the place. We see mosques at every corner almost, more and more every day. And whenever I see a mosque, I think of one thing forward operating base because the mosque is not there to be proselytized. Well, they're there to proselytize, of course, but they do much more than that. People attend mosques seven days a week, up to five times a day. They get lessons. They get instructions. They get training. Many, many mosques now have schools where they bring the children in after hours and on weekends. They're called madrasas. And they're instructed on Islam, and the instructions come from the Koran. And the Koran says, do not make friends with an infidel. Your duty is to find them and to slay them at the opportune time. And this is what they're being taught in their, in their mosques. They, uh, they gather intelligence. There's a big mosque right above the hill over, over the, the, the top-secret submarine base at Groton, Connecticut. And that mosque has, a, has an array of antennas where they gather, gather signal intelligence stuff, and stuff like that. That is not a friendly activity. That is a hostile activity, gathering an intelligence against our armed forces. And this is what's happening in the country. People don't seem to recognize that. And it's hard to talk to you. Well, I know I've, I've, I've tried to talk to people, and they don't want to hear me because they, they figure I'm a nutcase, you know. And maybe well, I am a little bit crazy because on, I know Islam all too well. <laughs> well, you've talked about, talked on several different parts of the topics, and I want to try to break a couple of them down because I pulled out articles to talk with you about. And one of them, this was up in Robert Spence's Jihad Watch, that in Maine they voted to allow female genital mutilation. In a party vote 77 to 70, they killed this FGM ban. Uh, because they have a large, growing Somali community in Maine. You talked about proselytization, especially Tennessee. In Tennessee, um, the students there in the schools are being um, accosted, I, I'm, the only way I'm going to call it, by people, Muslims proselytizing of Islam, claiming to address the misconceptions of Islam. And this is where the taqiyya comes in. Um, you talked about uh, the mosques. Uh, being a forward operating uh, position, but people don't realize that inside the mosque there is a room where they have munitions. So when you have a fireman, a fire inspection or something like that, they're not allowed to go into that room. They're told it's a holy room. You can't go in there because you're not a Muslim. So that way they yeah. can hide their arms. Uh, there's so it's, much that you've touched on here. These, these but, things uh, are, are called a, in Arabic, they're called a robot. And that's an armory. That's where they get their weapons and their chemicals and other things for warfare. Uh, some some of them have fairly large robots where they go in and they have secret meetings. And they, they're very careful about that because they're planning different types of activities against the United States. And then fortunately, uh, there are robots where executions take place. 
We used to see things up, you know, 10, 12, 15 years ago about uh, Muslims killing their daughters or killing their wives because they were becoming too westernized. Well, now they've got too much bad publicity about that, so now they're doing it in secret. And they're doing these activities in mosques in secret. That is, that is, you know, the, the police don't report it because the police are not aware of it. And But these things are taking place. Also, when you've got uh, several cities around the country, uh, Muslim cities outside of the, outside of the cities, uh, on farms and ranches and places like that where they practice weaponry and warfare training and stuff like that. They're practicing for urban warfare in those places, and those places exist. Those are big places where these types of activities could take place and where they can dispose of the bodies by digging a hole in the field and planting them in there. Uh, we had something in Minneapolis about 10 years ago where a part of a mosque exploded uh, or caught on fire, and as the, as the fire department were approaching this, this thing exploded before the firemen could get into the building and get hurt. But that was a chemical weapons storage facility that blew up in the mosque in Dinkytown, Minneapolis, where I, near where I grew up. And this, these are actual facts. These are things that are happening. And we have to be aware of that. But people just don't understand it. A lot of the authorities don't understand it. I've talked to people in law enforcement who don't want to hear about it because it's just another headache for them. And it's not an imminent threat, but it's a growing existential threat, and they can't connect the two. And that's, that's no, you know, what's, what's going on. Well, we got a caller in on the line. Let me see if I can bring this person in. The caller from the D.C. area. Caller, you're on the air live. It doesn't sense. I'm your host. It's Annie, and our guest is Jim Horn. To whom am I speaking? Hi, it's Paul. Hello, caller? Can you hear me? Uh, you're you're breaking up. Who am I speaking to? Oh, you're speaking to niggas. Sorry about that. You know you're doing something right when you get yourself hit by a troll. But we had a question in the chat room from our friend Ron, uh, and it's something I wanted to ask you about uh, because Putin is going to be coming to the White House, it looks like, sometime in the near future. Um, and the Soviet Union seems to be backing off in some of the things it's doing in the Middle East and its connection with Iran and supporting um, uh, Bashir al-Assad. So our question was, and I can't scroll all the way back to it, is, you know, what was your position, what is your thoughts on the Iran and Russian connection? On the Russian connection and what country? Iran. Iran. Well, Iran. Yeah, okay, when we when we get to that part of the world, you're dealing with two very distinct, very large, very different tribes. You have the Shia Muslims, which are the Iranians, and the dominant party in Syria. You have the Sunni Muslims, who are the Saudis, and they're in other parts of the, of, of, uh, the Middle East. They have been fighting each other for 1,200 years. The Russians know all about it, much more than we do. The Russian southern frontier has Sunnis, the Dagestanis and the Chechenians, who have been raising havoc with Russia for many, many, many years. So the Russians are out of necessity, right? you'd probably say it, is also expedient politically for them. 
they are siding with the Shia right now, the Shia who are killing the Sunnis, and that is that is that works to Russia's benefit. So this is self-serving for Russia and their alliance with the Iranians, because the Iranians are going after the Sunnis who are being funded by the Saudis. The Saudi money is all over the Middle East, and there's all the Saudi money has gone into Turkey, it's gone into the Caucasus, the south and southern areas of Russia, and to support the, the, the Sunni activities against the Russians. So this is where the game comes in there, and the Russians have sided with the one tribe against the other. So now, I, I noticed that there was an article in today's paper uh, about Russia starting to take a step back in its support with the, with, in Syria, with the rebels in Syria. But we're also seeing the saber rattling uh, with Iran because now we've pulled out of the Iran nuke deal. And lo and behold, we hear more loud shouts of death to America and the burning of American flags. Do you think Trump, um, his actions he's got with North Korea, going to have an effect in forcing Iran to start to back down? I believe Trump is very smart and that Iran will be one of the equations in dealing with North Korea. At least I hope so, and that part of the, any agreement they do with North Korea will be to not transfer the nuclear or rocket programs to Iran to do it for them. And this is this is one of the one of the technical issues. That'll be a hard issue to follow up with, but it will be something that we'll have to do and insist on if North Korea wants to join the civilized world. And. We're going to have to sit back and wait and see where this goes. But I hope uh, President Trump and his team will, will will see that and will work on that and will carry that to the message to the meetings in Singapore. Well, now, this is where I found interesting is this is an article that was from the Washington Post, believe it or not, uh, where they're seeing, saying that uh, basically because Trump has been doing what he's doing, they're seeing – uh, activity around mountain, Mount Mantap, that's the mountain that they've been doing all the nuclear testing under, the one that ended up with uh, over 200 dead miners in there, uh, dead uh, workers in there, when one of the explosions caused the mountain itself to uh, collapse. Uh, but they're seeing the activity around the entrances to the mountains to decrease, and actually some of those buildings are disappearing, are being dismantled. And the question here would be, and you raised it yourself, will North Korea moved their activities to Iran because there is a direct connection between Pakistan, North Korea, and Iran with the nuclear uh, materials through that scientist Khan, who admitted he had worked with North Korea and Iran to help develop their. So, will they be actually doing a true breakdown, or are they shoving it across the border into Iran? I, I am. I have different positions on that, and I kind of vacillate. But uh, the, the North Koreans and the Iranians have been working in concert for weapons development and rocketry development for many, many years, and I think a lot of this stuff is going back and forth. One thing we have to insist on is that North Koreans do not move to Iraq or Iran and participate in sciences there. The Pakistanis... They are a very, very treacherous group of people, but the Pakistanis are largely Sunnis, so they are not going to be very cooperative with the Shia. 
because this is an issue that goes back again with their battle with each other for 1,200 years. But the Pakistanis will sell anything to anybody if the if the money is right. And of course, we have given the uh, Iranians many, many billions of dollars in cash that they can use to buy what they need from Pakistan. And there are elements in Pakistan that hate the United States more than anything else, and they will work with uh, the, the, the Iranians, the Shia, against us. Because one of the things that's with the, with the tribe, tribal mentality throughout Islam, it's me against my brother, my brother and me against our cousin, my brother and me and my cousin against our neighbors, and et cetera, et cetera. So when it comes to the United States, the Sunni and the Shia who hate us will join together hand in hand to do whatever harm they can to us. So this is what we have to be aware of, and that could be a part of the Iranian-Pakistani uh, alliance. And this is something that is very possible. It may be probable. It may be happening today. We don't know. At least I don't know. It's, it's a scary world out there. But uh, Trump seems to be, uh, being Trump, um, proving to be a better diplomat than we have seen in 60 years. Because the Korean War ended over 60, well, about six decades ago, and no one has been able to bring them together. But he, in just less than two years of his term, has been able to bring them together to uh, the table. And uh, yeah. let's see what happens in uh, Singapore. Yeah, well, the, 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 the Korean War didn't end. It was an armistice. The, the war is still declared. It is not, there's no oh, peace you're, you're right. or anything like that. You are correct. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my bad. But, <laughs> it's okay. Uh, we, we, yeah, we have to wait and see what happens in Singapore. But I think John Bolton, who is one of the most knowledgeable people in the world and a very, very smart man and very aggressive in defense of the United States, he will be in Singapore with President Trump coaching him every step of the way. And I'm pretty sure that President Trump will listen to John Bolton because that's what President Trump has been looking for when he brought John Bolton on board and kicked McMaster out. McMaster was pro-Muslim. Hey, Jim. Yeah. I was going to ask you about who, when it came to Shiites and Sunnis, which one was more of a threat to America, but you already answered that. So I was going to ask you now, why is it that we seem to work more with the Sunnis when it comes to, like, taking on, like, the Taliban or something like that, more so than the Shiites? I'm afraid I didn't follow that very well. It was kind of garbled. Yeah, between Sunnis and Shiites, seems like the United States has a history of working more with the Sunnis, you know, like Saudi Arabia and things like that when it comes to, uh, say, like on the Afghan, Afghanistan war when they were fighting the Russians, you know, we supplied them with Stinger missiles and things like that. Um, but we never had that cozy of um, relationship um, with Shiite Muslims since um, the Shah of Iran was looted out. We, during the reign of the Shah, we had good relations with Iran, better than with a lot of the other countries out there. But yes, we've always yeah. had good relations and close ties with Saudi Arabia because it was mostly based on money and oil. 
not ideology. So yes, we, we've we, we've been kind of favoring them all along, and that is part of the problem between us and Russia, because by favoring the Saudi Arabia, the 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 the, the influence or whatever would moves north to the southern Russian border. Uh, that is why we allied ourselves with uh, Turkey during the Cold War, because the Turks are a very powerful force in that part of the world, and the Turks and the Russians have fought some very, very serious wars, and that's why a lot of the Turkish residue remains on the southern coast of Russia, because your Chechenians and your Dagestani, their language is basically based on Turkish. So when we when we were allied with Turkey, we we were using them because they were a powerful force on the southern flank of Russia, and we needed them at the, during the early years of the Cold War. But as things have changed in the last 20 years, the Turks are no longer an ally or a friend of the United States, and that yeah. is that that has you know helped our Russian-American relations. I recall seeing a video two or three years ago of President. Putin of Russia at a meeting where he said that eventually the United States and Russia will become allies against Islam. That's not happening very fast, obviously, because we've got some other problems going on. There, and the, you know, and a lot of it is surrounding this uh, tribal war in Syria. I, I never call it a civil war. It's a tribal war. And it's where the one religious group is trying to annihilate the other religious group. And we we went in there. At first, we were helping the Sunni Muslims against the essentially Shia, Shia uh, Syrians, and then we turned around and we're helping the Shia Syrians against the Sunni Muslims who were ISIS. So we're we're kind of schizophrenic over there, jumping from one side of the fence to the other, and this is why none of them like us. None of them trust us. Man, Turkey at one point was a, a country where Christians and Muslims could live side by side, but that's no longer the case um, because we still have an American pastor that's been put on trial over there for being a Christian, um, and we can't we can't do anything about it. And the biggest mistake I think was allowing Turkey into NATO, knowing well, that the direction the country was going into. I think that's now, the what, biggest mistake. With the advent with the advent of Erdogan, uh, that alliance and that friendship between the United States and Turkey has vanished. And Christians have not lived happily or easily under the Turkish rule ever. Uh, after the Ottoman Empire fell apart, Kemal Ataturk tried to be peaceful and he tried to drag the Turkish people into the 20th century, kicking and screaming. And he almost made it, but I, you, you see what's happening now with Erdogan. You know that Kemal Ataturk is probably spinning in his grave because things are not going as he would, as he had tried to make them go. And also, we have to be reminded that uh, about a hundred years ago, the Turks went after after World War One. The Turks went after the Christians, the Armenians, and the Greeks, and they slaughtered over two million of them in their pogrom there, destroying all those people. And I, when I lived in Turkey, I met Turks and I met Armenians who had seen or participated or know about or had been 
victimized as children during those uh, Armenian genocide activities. So the Turks, I, I've, I know them fairly well. I've, I know some wonderful Turks, and I know some pretty nasty Turks. And Erdogan is one of the nasty ones. Yeah, we see the country going further and further hard line uh, into radical Islam. Uh, and at one point, Turkey was a predominantly Judeo-Christian area because it contains Mount Ararat, where the uh, Noah's Ark was found. So, you know, it had its history based on Judeo-Christianity, but now Islam has completely taken over the country for now going on almost two millennia. It's uh, it's it's it's. I'm trying to think of the right word, but I'm, it's not coming to the tip of my head. But it's very confusing when when an American tries to follow the politics, because as you said, it's all tribal. That's all tribal, and and our leaders sometimes think that these people think like us, which is a big mistake because they do not think like us. Their minds function in a different world, far far away from ours. And trying to reason with them on our on our on our level is not successful. But they have learned how we think, and they come into us and they negotiate with us. They come to our country, uh, they 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 emulate things that we like, and that's part of their their taqiyya again. This is this is where we are falling down, and we are failing, and our political leaders are failing us in many many ways. Hey, Jim, isn't that because um, we tend to see the world through the, the prism of how our culture is instead of trying to understand other people's cultures? And you're absolutely right. And that's where the ugly American book comes into play. Have you ever read it? When I was no. In high school, no, I haven't. When I was in high school long ago, one of my teachers, who had been a POW in Korea, he was a civics and history teacher, and he taught our, his class the way he wanted to teach it. Back to, that was back before they had a common core. So some of his kids came out of there pretty well educated. And one of the books that I was told to read was The Ugly American. That's where we see everything from our point of view. And even when we go overseas, the foreigners, if we go to Germany, the Germans are the frickin' foreigners. If we go to Pakistan, the Pakistanis are the, are the bad foreigners. If we go to Thailand... The, Ameri- the, the Thais are the, are the uh, you know, freaking foreigners. This is where we are, and this is one of the things we have to get across to our, our people and our politicians and our leaders, that we are the Americans, and the whole world does not work or think or participate the way we think they should. And this is, this is how, part of the problem, that people just don't understand. And it even happens with people, the State Department and the CIA, who get trained in languages and all sorts of skills that they go overseas, and they're the ugly foreigners. They just don't understand how they need to deal with these different things. I've always been aware of that, and I've had to even tell some of my own family members when they visited me overseas in some of these countries, and they complained about the local people. I said, hey, you are the freaking foreigner here. And that usually steps them down. I've had to do that with... uh, other Americans in the embassies, when they had attitudes about those countries we were in, and they were anti those countries, they had to remind them that, hey, you are the foreigner here, so you have to understand that you're dealing with a different culture and a different society, and you have to learn about it so you can deal with it successfully. Otherwise, you're going to fail. And a lot of the Americans failed. That's 
part of the problems. But the the other <laughs> the other the other side, they have come over here. They have studied us. I mean, the the the, the Saudis and other Arabs that came over here after World War II, and they were they were social anthropologists. They studied our society and the way we wait think the way we work and how, how all that kind of stuff, they learned it very, very well. That's why they're having so much success here in undermining our democracy because they know about it. Well, that's another thing I was going to bring up. The, uh, the insidious in, uh, placement of people that belong with CARE and the Muslim Brotherhood, which CARE is an arm of the Muslim Brotherhood, into, mm-hmm. they started off in corporations, they've moved into the local police departments, the federal government, their placement throughout all of our government and society, which is now forcing people to accept Islam and Sharia, such as in Maine, where they passed this bill to allow female uh, genital mutilation. You would never think something like that would ever occur in the United States, but yes, it's occurring now. You have it where the FBI handbook has been rewritten. I go into some of this stuff with my book, uh, Muslim Men for Women. You know, it's, uh, it's, the FGM is a major part of, or not a major part, it's a big part of that book because it talks about Muslim misogyny, the way they the way they just don't like women, they don't trust women, and they treat women badly, and it all comes right out of Muhammad and Muhammad's Koran. Uh, the, Muhammad once told a couple of women, well, you women are stupid. It takes two women to equal a man in, in, in intellect and thinking and intelligence. This is what Muslims still believe today. Uh, if a Muslim woman admits that she has been raped, she is guilty of having sex out of wedlock, and she could be killed for it. To, to go to court, she has to have four male witnesses that she was raped. And usually the four male witnesses are probably part of the rape gang. So, you know, this is this is part of... Islamic teaching, which holds women to be so inferior, to be stupid, to be ignorant, and to not allow them any rights. And how they enslave women. Uh, in, in, in most Middle Eastern countries, a woman is either a wife owned, that is bought and paid for, so she's still a chattel, or she is a slave who has been bought and paid for and is also chattel. And that is the only way they recognize their women. And they try to do that in Western countries, too. So when you see a woman walking down the street, and it happens every day in Sweden and Germany and Europe, and it's happening more and more here, they see a woman walking down the street, and they decide they want to have a little fun with her. They just grab them and rape them. They think, they're, they think they are entitled to do the rape because women who are not under the control of another man are free game. They're free meat, as they call it in Australia. And... This is, this is uh, you know, I, I talk about that throughout my book, Muslim Men Fear Women. It's a, a general audience book. It's not, there's nothing triple X rated or anything like that about it. It's a general audience book aimed at younger women who should read it and learn about it from the age of 12 on up. It's also good information for a lot of guys to learn and read to understand what type of people these so-called sweet Muslim neighbors are really, really might be. And it's, it's it's an ugly thing. I uh, I wrote it. It's a hard hitting book. Uh, there's no foul language or nothing foul or anything like that. It's just uh, based on truth and facts. And a lot of it comes from the Quran. A lot of it comes from Islamic dogma. And it, I teach people 
that Islam is really, really a bad deal. There, I believe uh, several Muslim clerics have put a fatwa out uh, declaring this book not to be read by any Muslim because they just don't want people to learn about it. And this is, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very, very easy-to-read book. It's only a couple hundred pages long, but it, when people finish reading it, they might have a, an extra crease in their forehead because it's, 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 it's not a happy, fun, exciting, romantic novel or anything like that. It's just the facts and truths that are really, really thoroughly explained and brought out a lot of things that a lot of people are not aware of about how they think about women. And any woman who gets involved with them uh, is, is, is going to suffer consequences. I remember uh, back many, many years ago when you had the Shah was in charge of Iran, there were about 30,000 European and American women married to Iranian men. When the Shah's regime fell and the Ayatollahs took over, a lot of the women managed to get out, about 20,000, but about 10,000 vanished. This is what the Muslim misogyny is about. Those women were either locked up in slavery or they were killed or something else, but they, their families never heard from them again. Wow. That is a thing hey, Jim. Hey, Jim, do you think the Council on American-Islamic Relations should be labeled a terrorist organization, also known as CARE? CARE? Again, that was kind of garbled. Can we hear that again? Do you think the Council on American-Islamic Relations should be labeled a terrorist organization? The Council, on, the Council on Islamic American Relations was formed by a group of Hamas. Okay, the Palestinian Hamas people who were here in the United States, they, they, they formed the Council on American-Islamic Relations and they started it from there, and it has grown from there. At one point, the Council on American-Islamic Relations was indicted as a co-conspirator in the Holy Land Foundation scandal where they were getting, you know, collecting charitable money in the United States, laundering it, and sending it to terrorists in, in Gaza. And uh, so, the care, so basically, the Council on American-Islamic Relations is an unindicted co-conspirator in a criminal enterprise. That's what they are. But they, you know, they, they, they've spread out. They've gotten more people in. They're doing stuff all over the place, and they're pushing, pushing, pushing their message wherever they can. Just south of the San Diego County, uh, the Council on American Islamic Relations got tied in very close with the school board who are a very anti-American group of people, and they decided that uh, they would claim that too many Muslim children were being bullied, so they were going to impose Sharia law in the classrooms. They were going to put Muslims in a superior position to the non-Muslim children. And this is, this is one of the things that's been going on. They've been sued. I've, I've been down there, and I've spoken at the school board, uh, because this is totally wrong, but this is where care is. They got they've been sued, so they've been told they have to back out. But they're still doing stuff through the back door and trying to impose Islam on all the children in the San Diego school district. It's also happening in different parts of 
Kentucky, I would no, no doubt it'll be happening in Georgia and South Carolina. It's happening all over the country, and we have to be aware of it. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, people again have been with their heads in the sand. Most of your school books now teach world history. Well, they have a four or five paragraphs about Christianity, about Judaism, a little bit less about Hinduism and about Shintoism, and then they have four or five chapters where they extol the virtues of Islam. And one of they, 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 they pretend that Muhammad traipsed around the Saudi Arabian Peninsula like some sort of a Johnny Appleseed delivering the message of Islamic love and charity and goodness to all of the people. The fact of the matter is, on the day Muhammad died, there was hardly a living Christian or Jew left in the Saudi Peninsula. They had been killed, forced to convert to Islam, or driven into exile in other places. That is what Islam is about. But they don't teach that in the history books. They teach, they, they, they teach you know, that Muhammad was some sort of a sweetheart, just doing all these wonderful things for people when he was a beast and a monster. But they don't teach that. And this is what's happening in our classrooms. People need to understand what, what, what is in their children's class books. But unfortunately, we have a lot of parents who are in this country who are totally irresponsible and really don't give a whit about what happens to their children. This is a tragedy. You know, I keep saying tragedy too much, but that's way. It's really true. And the children are growing up. Uh, you, you meet kids now coming out of high school. You talk to them about Islam. They say, "Oh yeah, Islam is just wonderful. Oh, it's a sweet, lovely." You know, they don't have. They have no idea about the true facts of Islam. That's why I try to. I'm trying to get these things out there to teach both the the, the young people and. I even had a program that was very successful here, but we backed away from it a little bit because we were, we were over, probably a little bit over the edge. But I was going out with people to high school campuses and greeting the kids when they came out of, out of school at the end of the day and giving a piece of paper that asked them how, how much they how, liked being lied to by their teachers about Islam. And then I listed about a dozen websites that the kids could go to themselves and get their own home lessons about Islam. And some of these things caused some consternation, some wars. The Muslims were infuriated about it. And the way we managed this, we did it in a way that well, they couldn't get in there and interfere with us before we were done and gone. There's a, a way to do it. And it was working very, very well. People in other parts of, parts of the country are starting to do that. I have it listed on my website how to do that. So this is some things that, that have to be done. And the more and more people get involved in this, the more and more young people learn, learn the truth, and they turn against it right away because they're, they, they, they're smart kids. kids. Most kids are smarter than their teachers. And if you get this message <laughs> in the hands of the kids, they're way ahead. You know? Well, Jim, I want to thank you for joining us. We're down to our last few minutes of the show. The show is going so fast between Lucretia and you. Uh, people can find your books on, on your website, which is your name, jamesehorn.com. There's a link on the show page here. People can go there, look at the uh, programs that you put together for schools, and get your books and read your articles. Uh, you're a wealth of knowledge, and it's always a ton of fun to talk with you. Okay, wonderful. Thank you for having me. I'd like to come back. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'll see how the schedule works and get you in as soon as I can. All right. Thank you, Jim, and God bless. Enjoy your weekend. And happy Mother's Day to your wife. 
Yes, right. I will do that. Check out. The... All right. Thank you. Uh, check out his website, jamesehorn.com. He's got three great books up on there, uh, Muslim Men Fear Women Experiencing Islam and Islam in the Workplace. Very, very educational books. Um, we've got, today is what? Today is the 18th. We've got Tamara Lee coming up on Tuesday with Bruce Hartman. Uh, he's got the book at Jesus and Company. Uh, and then Edwin Duarte, who's running for Congress out of California, will be joining us. And then we have a doubleheader on the second half of the show on next Friday with Karen Strahan and Dr. Paul Nathanson uh, talking about the attacks on men. Our book, our show is booked all the way through the end of the month. I mean, we're solid. So I want to thank everyone that's been listening in and joining in the chat room up on YouTube, Facebook, Stitcher, Spreaker, and all the other places we were. So, Curtis, I want to wish your lovely bride a happy Mother's Day and hope you enjoy your weekend, too. Uh, we'll try to rest. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So we'll be seeing everyone over the weekend. A happy Mother's Day to all the lovely ladies out there. And I'll leave you with our closing song. When the roll is called up yonder. Until then, I say good night and God bless.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.